What's going on? It's Adam. Welcome back to Bringing It Backwards, a podcast where both legendary and rising artists tell their own personal stories of how they achieved stardom. On this episode, we hung out with Sam Haft over Zoom video. Sam was born and raised in New York City and talks about how he got into music, really started off producing songs from a very early age. He's had a very interesting career path when it comes to music. He likes stand-up comedy, did that for a little while, then ended up starting a band that was a comedic band, and they had some success. He's also done voiceover, wrote screenplays. He talked about the success of The Living Tombstone and their YouTube channel having their first platinum record. And he told us all about his first solo project, his debut solo EP, which is called Bad Times. You can watch our interview with Sam on our Facebook page and YouTube channel at Bringing It Backwards. It would be amazing if you subscribe to our channel, like us on Facebook, follow us on Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok at Bringing Back Pod. And if you're listening to this on Spotify, Apple Music, Google Podcasts, it'd be incredible if you follow us there as well and hook us up with a five-star review. We'd appreciate your support if you follow and subscribe to our podcast wherever you listen to podcasts. We're Bringing It Backwards with Sam Haft. Well, I appreciate you doing this. Um, this is about you and your journey in music. We'll talk about the the EP. And um, yeah, that's cool with you. Awesome. Yeah. Sweet. So um, first off, where were you born and raised? New York City. New York City. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Wow. Not many I, uh, people from the actual city, I would bet. Yeah. I learned how to drive last year. I, no way. Uh, yeah. I was a lifelong pedestrian and now I am... Honestly, like I, I do love driving. I expected to hate it. I expected <laughs> just because like being a as a lifelong passenger, like you expect driving to suck if all you witness is just the person next to you being like, ah, this traffic or like right. oh, look at that guy, use your signal or whatever. <laughs> but I feel like you don't you don't get to enjoy the the fun of driving, which is the, you know. Oh, look, I can make myself go fast. You know, right. I, I, I'm, I'm having a great time driving. Are um, you in LA? Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. You I have a great time driving. That's interesting. I'm from San Diego and recently moved to Nashville, but like even driving, going back to, to my sister got married and going back and having to drive again in California and San Diego and LA. And I'm like, Oh, this, this is a lot. So the fact that you're learning in like the probably most difficult place. You know, that's interesting because I actually like I kind of feel like, L first of all, like, yes, people are right. Like L.A. drivers are unhinged. But <laughs> yeah. I, I do feel like the 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 complaint I have always heard isn't like L.A. drivers are crazy. It's like L.A. traffic is terrible. And right. I feel like Angelinos are so spoiled coming from New York City, where oh. like if you get in a cab to go a mile, it's going to take you like 15 minutes. Whereas in L.A., like. Even with traffic, you got at max like an eight minute mile. So right, you're still moving a little bit. Yeah. Whereas yeah. in New York, it's just stopped and traffic lights. Yeah. And at least there's some sort of highways and stuff you can get on. Yeah. And I mean, you know, the, the great thing about being from New York is like you don't have to be in that traffic if you don't want to. I mean, you've got great public transit and it's everything's so walkable. But, you know, in terms of traffic versus traffic, there's no contest. The traffic in New York is like, an, I, I never, ever, ever want to drive in New York City. I love driving in LA. 
Yeah, that's funny. You're the I think you're the first person I've ever talked to that said I I really actually enjoy driving in LA. I mean, in fairness, once I start driving anywhere else, I'll probably be like, man, driving in LA sucks. Uh, <laughs> but it's like it's all you, you know, know right now. Someone who has only seen one movie and being like, yeah, that movie's pretty good. Uh, <laughs> it's like, well, I haven't seen a second movie, but uh, yeah, like I'm uh, I'm you know. Pretty sure that's one of the best movies ever made. <laughs> right, right. That's so yeah. funny. So growing up in New York, do you come from music, musical household at all? Not even the slightest. Uh, there is, you know, I, do, I would say nobody in my family is musical. My grandma loves, like, she loves, like, Cole Porter and will, like, incorrigibly, like, start singing and like never ever stop uh if you just you know set her off but like i wouldn't particularly describe her as like a musical person or a person with an interest in the making of music just kind of an enjoyer of you know music 40s songwriting yeah and where did you start did you pick play piano or anything like what kind of drew you to music early on yeah. you know i took piano lessons in grade school and like totally didn't take to it. Um, I always had like a keyboard in my room growing up and I would play around with it and like have fun with it a bit, but like, I never, it, it wasn't something that was like a main interest of mine until I learned about like music creation software mm -hmm. when I was in, gosh, probably seventh or eighth grade. Um, would you get and, like Rudy Loops or Ableton or something? Or you know what? It was it was or it was Cakewalk Studio. That's what oh, it was. Okay. It was like an OG like Windows '90s piece of software. <laughs> yeah, I know um, that one. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I I was learning Cakewalk, and I thought like, oh my god, this is so cool! I can program a piano part that is much better than I'm capable of playing it, and that got me more and more interested to making it on my own. Then when I found logic, it was like, oh my God, game over. I, I love this. Like, this is so fun. Um, and I'd always enjoyed singing. Like I had a band in high school. Um, we were called Murray's Fury because one of us had prank called some kid's dad whose name was Murray. And he got really mad at us. We were Murray's Fury. And we, I mean, like, you know, we, we never even wrote our own stuff. Like it was the kind of high school band where it's like, ah, oh, sick, let's play immigrant song at the next assembly. Like it wasn't, we, we were that's a, that's a choice though. I mean, immigrant song. It wasn't like, yeah, we're going to play, uh, you know, damn it from Blink-182 or something maybe yeah. a little simpler. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, it's, I mean, I think part of it is like the one of us that it, we, we were a three piece. It was me on bass or piano we had a guitarist and a drummer and our guitarist was just the one who like knew the most music and he was obsessed with classic rock so we played like a lot of kind of like harder classic rock songs uh and i remember our final gig no our final gig was actually my graduation but our but our second to last gig was a nightmare because there was no ground wire and whenever i was touching or close enough to both the microphone 
and the strings of the bass guitar, I was actively being electrocuted. Like shocked. <laughs> yeah. Um, oh, and so I had on these big yellow kitchen gloves while I was playing these big rubber <laughs> gloves so that I wouldn't get shocked. And like, but, you know, there's a lot of bass in immigrants, like, doom, 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 oh, you know, yeah. there's, there's a lot to do. And I ripped through those gloves like immediately. <laughs> it was, uh, yeah, that was, uh, that was one for the for the books. But Wait, was there any photos of that? Of like, that? Was, Are you playing in the rubber gloves? That's got to be that'd be a great picture. Yeah, I do. And it's like and also at that point, I hadn't learned, you know, like what haircuts might look nice for me. So I had this like ridiculous uh, like a version of of Bob Dylan that played a lot of Magic the Gathering hair. <laughs> uh, so it's uh definitely it's a memorable it's a memorable photo. Uh but in in spite of that, you know, I wasn't I don't know, I wasn't positive that music was what I wanted to do. Um I was interested in like animation and cartoons, like that was one of the things I was doing on my own for a while was animating in like Macromedia Flash. Oh, okay. Uh, and just like little I mean the kind of the kind of stuff that was sort of like everywhere on the internet if you were a teenager at the time like stick figures fighting each other and stuff mm-hmm. like that uh and music was like a passion but it wasn't the thing i when i when i was applying to schools i didn't have like a specific thing i was going for music was one of them um I actually, I applied and got into Berkeley, but didn't go. Because, oh, wow. Yeah. The girl. So you I, were like a legitimately, I mean, to say that you didn't want to pursue music and then get into Berkeley. I mean, it wasn't like you just screwed around and then like, oh, I, you know, I, maybe I, I'll take music. I, 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 saw <laughs> it as, I saw it as a possible path, but I wasn't like I'm all in on music because I like I applied basically to three different schools for three different things. Well, at four, I applied to NYU and I didn't get in. Um, but I applied to Berkeley to be, I think it, I think it was either a composer or songwriter. I don't remember the difference uh, in terms of the Berkeley, you know, admission thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, I applied to the new school uh, with my application, basically saying I'm a graphic designer. Uh, okay. <laughs> and I applied to SUNY Purchase uh, because at the time I was dating a girl who like, she desperately wanted to be in the music program at SUNY Purchase. And like, that was where she applied and the only place she applied. And I was like, oh my God, if we're going to be together forever, then of course. I need to <laughs> but they had closed music applications at that point. So I applied there as a playwright. Um, and what ended up happening is I was like, you know what? I got I to gotta choose based on, based on my heart. So I picked SUNY Purchase, joined the playwriting program, and then the girl I was dating got waitlisted, and we almost immediately broke up. So, but I was like, you're into the school, and you're only going there because of her, and then she's not even in yet. But at that point, I picked a path, and I was like, okay, "Okay, writing, I I made my choice. Writing is the thing I'm doing. Mm -hmm. And, you know, for the next like 10 years, predominantly, I was like a writer, screenwriter. And and music really only came back in through comedy because I, I started I started 
trying to get into the like sketch comedy scene in New York. Uh, I did stand up for a minute and wasn't very good at it, but uh, oh I, wow, yeah, I, I that's something up, I've always been really interested in. I'm not funny enough to get up there and be stand up, but it's scary, you know. Like I, I think uh, sketch comedy was always so much more comfortable for me, just because if if you're not good up there, like the sketch is bad. But if you're not good up there as a stand up, then it's like you are bad. You, you are <laughs> right. not funny. Uh, go home. So I, you know, I definitely was always more comfortable, like collaborating with people, uh-huh. working with people. I had a comedy band that we're still, we still do stuff on and off called Salmon Bill. Um, and we, we actually started doing better. We released a record that hit in, uh, briefly uh, number one in the Amazon, you know, sales of like comedy records. Oh, damn. Um and we started playing more around the country. And that was really the thing that got me into songwriting again. Like I hadn't looked back and been like, oh, I'm going to do more of this. I'm going to compose more music uh, until I started doing it for the sake of, you know, comedy. Uh, and I'm and I'm glad I got into it that way. I think if I had just gone directly the Berkeley route, um, first of all, I think I would have become a, a much more irritating person to spend time with uh i you know and and that is not to say that of any of my dear friends who went to berkeley but i feel like you know a version of me that knows that much about music theory would just be obnoxious uh so i'm, gl- I'm glad i don't <laughs> uh and uh yeah i don't know i think i think getting in there getting into music kind of diagonally was mm-hmm really uh an advantage because you know i i think there are so many people who like music is the one thing that they've really been focusing on and i think kind of coming into it as a multi-hyphenate helped me have some perspectives that they might not have and it's helped me work with people who are lifelong musicians because then like they can take their perspective and i can take mine and we can find kind of a cool in-between place yeah, I mean, because you ha- you come from so many different like like little backgrounds. I mean, to do comedy, like to want to do stand up, and then and Ron write sketches, and then able to use that because you're you're a musician, you could write that into your comedy. Or it, it sounds like you did you know animation and like your videos online are animated, and you've done you know cartoon voiceover work, like all these things that kind of allowed you to pave your own really unique path. Yeah, I mean, that was that was interesting, too. Like, we didn't even talk about uh, the voiceover thing. Like, I I think one of the things they say about L.A. is that, like, New Yorkers have a have a very good time acclimating to L.A. just because, like, when you're on that kind of New York pace, uh, it's, it's so easy to get comfortable in SoCal and just be like, man, the lifestyle here is great. Like. I'm situated. I'm just going to kind of like stick with where I am. And I think there's like a weird uh, uh, poison inside of every New Yorker that is like, no, not enough. Got to work. Got to work. Got to work. And I. Which isn't a bad thing. I mean, yeah, to have that drive, obviously. Yeah. Yeah, totally. Um, And I think that was compounded by the fact that I was like acting freelance for for to, you know, to pay the bills. And like, I, it wasn't just like, I wasn't 
making it out the gate either. Like, you know, I worked in restaurants and catering and whatnot, but that certainly by like my mid to late twenties, I was basically supporting myself entirely as a voiceover artist, which was like, that's, was an incredible way to have time to start developing comedy and to start developing songwriting through comedy. Mm-hmm. Were you doing, and that came later. So you started the comedy band and you had the, you know, the touring under your belt and, and the record on Amazon and you were still living in New York at the time. Yeah. Yeah. I actually only moved to LA just before the pandemic. Oh, okay. Wow. So that was kind of a big thing for you then for what a number of years, the comedy thing. Absolutely. And, you know, I, I still have, you know, a lot of dear friends that I met from that scene. Uh, It's interesting, you know, like the people that stick with it really do have a tendency to, you know, make it whatever making it is. Um, But I also, I think there came a point too, particularly around the time that I stopped doing stand-up at all, when I got back to that same kind of crossroads moment where I was like, well, what does my future look like as a comic versus my future at that time as a writer? Mm. And I, I, I really consciously made the choice. Like I'm going to invest my time and effort into like growing as a writer and a storyteller instead of, uh, instead of just being the best standup I can be because I, you know, I, I also saw my peers and I saw how good so many of them are. And how I, I, you know, I always had a much easier time writing the jokes than delivering them. And, oh, and okay. I just, you know, I just thought like, I'll, I'll focus on the part of this job that I, I really feel like I can excel at mm-hmm. rather than the part of it that I'm doing just to kind of feel a part of something, a part of the comedy community. Okay. And when you got to LA, what was, what, or like, what took you then to Los Angeles? Well, it was a combination of things, you know, at the time as a writer, I was taking a lot more meetings in LA. um, And I was just at the time we moved, I had just sold a web series to funny or die. And like that was a thing that was going to make me be in LA for a period of time anyway. And then my wife, who is an entertainment lawyer and an incredibly talented one, she's (laughs) so good. I always got to say that. Uh, and she had just left uh, a job in New York and one of her most promising offers was in LA. Um, and we had also just had a kid, uh, and he was about two months old at the time. And there was just this thought of like, we are living in a, you know, 300 square foot, two bedroom apartment in, in New York. It's like, are we going to raise a kid here? You know, I have opportunities out West. You have opportunities out West. And it just kind of all came together. Wow. Well, when did you start um, uh, Living Tombstone? Wasn't you've had that channel so I didn't for a while. Living Tombstone. I joined. Oh, Tombstone. You joined Living Tombstone. Yes. Oh, okay. And that was a, that was a big part of the evolution of, what I was doing as a songwriter from being like, Oh, let me do this to make people laugh to like, let me do this to make people vibe, I guess. Okay. Uh, okay. Uh, you know, at the time, right after we released that uh, comedy record that did well, uh-huh. I got introduced to this guy, Yoav. Um, I was at a going away party for a friend of mine that I knew through voiceover work 
who she was moving down to the Dallas area where there's like, there's a lot of anime that gets produced and recorded down there. Uh, and th so this was her, you know, going away party. And at that going away party, which was a karaoke party, uh, I met Yoav, who had been in the United States for less than a week at this point. And oh, wow. I should add this, this girl who's going away party, it was um, Brittany, our, our only mutual friend. So this was like the only time we ever could have met because Brittany was leaving to go to Dallas like in two days. Yes. Yeah, so you uh, both so knew her and you're both at this going away party. Yes. It truly the only opportunity Yoav and I would have ever had in our entire lives to meet each other. <laughs> um, and so we end up just kind of sitting next to each other in this karaoke room talking about music. He tells me he just moved to New York. Um, and we talked about the idea of getting like a studio space together where we could both work on music around each other, be kind of accountable to each other by having someone else in the room being productive so that we wouldn't just kind of goof off all day. Mm -hmm. And uh, from there, we ended up like going for it. And within a month, we had a, a studio space that we were both going to easily four or five days a week. Uh, and from there, I mean, you know, he's working 15 feet from me and I'm working 15 feet from him and he hears what I'm doing. I hear what he's doing. He gives me a note. I give him a note. And pretty soon we were just collaborating on everything we did. Oh, wow. And then so he, he was working on the YouTube channel and then you kind of just jumped in because it made sense. You guys were right there. And yeah. Well. Yeah. The first song that like we really sat down and said, like, let's make this be like our song. And we're this this song is kind of like an opportunity to really creatively partner on something. Mm -hmm. It was a song called My Ordinary Life. Uh, and that song is actually our first song um, to go platinum. Uh, and so it's like that it was just so well received and it turned out so well that there was just this moment that we had where we were like, well, we need to keep writing together. And like from that moment on, like we've just been writing partners, you know, like we like virtually all the music that we do, if we're not writing it together, the other person's listening to it and being like, oh man, that's cool. Maybe try this. Like, We've just been kind of like creative partners in music from then on. And then mm -hmm. around 2018, 2017 or 2018, I think it was 2018, um, I came to another, you know, multi-hyphenate crossroads where uh, one of my, like I had just left a manager um, in the like TV and film world and I was feeling just like very, it was feeling like I wasn't sure if I had time to do both. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I had this moment where I was like, you know what, let me, let me, let me go all in on music and uh, haven't, haven't looked back. Wow. Wow. And then, cause you're still doing a lot of stuff for that, for that YouTube channel. Obviously. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. I mean, like we're still, we're still releasing stuff. Uh, we're tr last year we released a lot of stuff this mm -hmm. year, you know, we're working on the next, you know, full length uh, LP for the living tombstone. So like, this is, 
this year is like a development year, whereas last year was kind of like a releasing year. Okay. And during all of these things that you're doing, um, you have your own solo record. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so tell me when you start, when you start working on bad times. So bad times was the, in many ways, like the product of me trying to figure out how to be a producer. Okay. Cause you know, in terms of the creative partnership between Yoav and I for the living tombstone, Yoav is so he's so technical um, he also uses different software than I do. I use Logic and he uses FL Studio. And he's okay. very much like, he's like a technical producer and mixer and like really brilliant in that regard. And it it occurred to me that I'm like, I don't even need to, you know, like there are muscles that I'm just not flexing entirely uh, because I don't have to produce for TLT. And then there was just a sense of like, what would I what would I write about on my own? What would I produce on my own? What would it sound like? And it, Bad Times is in part, you know, me trying to answer those questions. And, and as you can, I mean, as you can already hear so far, like I've had a hard time in my life, like figuring out like, what am I? You know what I mean? Like, what is, what is my identity? Is it like a writer? Is it a comedian? Is it a musician? So I think part of it too is, is figuring out what my identity is as a, as a solo recording artist uh, and, and trying to infuse, I mean, in this case, some of the bad times <laughs> into, into uh, a real sense of like, I don't know, into a signature, into a declaration of like, this is who I am musically. Okay. And cuz it's the the EP is done, it doesn't come out I think till next end of next month. Um and so when you're working on that like I obviously have to put another a different hat on. I mean, you have so many projects going on. Like when you're working on that, like you must approach that totally differently than you would anything with uh, Living Tombstone. Oh yeah, absolutely. Because I think, you know, there's the I, I've always used to an extent, I've always used collaboration as a crutch where mm -hmm. it is, it's so easy to bounce stuff off someone else and like collectively put together the jigsaw puzzle. It's, it's so much harder to silo yourself and say like, what do I want to write? I am in complete control. What do I want to talk about? What do I need to express? Uh, and that was, you know, it was definitely a challenge, but like the moment I started, it just, you know, kind of poured out. Was it hard to write? It's, it doesn't sound like this is a, a comedy record by any means, <laughs> no. right? You know what I mean? I like have a hard time not adding kind of a smirk to what I do. Okay. I, I don't know. I, I, I think... And I think there are people who use humor as a way to kind of deflect and a way to oh, separate yeah. themselves and be kind of ironic. And, mm -hmm. and for me, you know, I, I, I feel like I use humor earnestly. I mean, you, I, I would be being a fake version of myself if I wasn't a little silly 
or a, just a little funny. Um, I think a lot about, for example, like the music of of Ben Folds, which is oh, like yeah. at times there there's stuff that's like really kind of like clever and funny and humorous, but it's not you know you wouldn't call it a comedy record. No, no. But what's either. funny is I think a lot of my influences are comedy musicians. You know, like I I loved. Um, Flight of the Concords, uh, although I wouldn't call them an, an influence here, but certainly um, Tim Minchin. Uh, oh, I loved, I've had him on my podcast. That guy's insanely good. I love him. I mean, and he is, I like when people ask us, Yoav and I in interviews, like, hey, what are your influences? Tim Minchin's always on my list because, awesome. think, you know, he is, yes, he's funny and he's doing a lot of what he does to be funny, but his music is still profoundly beautiful and profoundly personal too. You know, like there are songs that he does, you know, just because in service of a joke, but a lot of his best stuff is a commentary on himself. And I think you find that in all comedy, you know, there are comics who make jokes for the joke and there are comics who feel like they are expressing something personal on stage. Yeah, what was the record he put out? He put out an album. Oh, uh, Apart Together. Was that it? There there was one that he, I think it was Apart Together. And it's like this big, like, sim, it's like a cinematic record, but it's so personal. It's not funny at all. I mean, he gets yeah. up on the, and, but the album and his songwriting is insane. And like, when I interviewed him, he was next to a piano and he's just like, oh yeah, I'll come up with something. And he's like, like just how quick he's is on keys. I was like, damn, like this is crazy. Yeah. I just I knew mean, him as a comedian. Absolutely. And I mean, like the thing is it, well, it's like, you know, it's Steve Martin with the banjo, like Tim, oh, I yeah, mean, sure. Tim mentioned it, his career is much more dependent on his piano than Steve Martin is on the banjo. But like here you have a person who, you know, for a living is being funny for you, but like, is just, a prodigious artist with their instrument. Mm -hmm. No, hundred percent. When it comes to like this album, was it hard to, you know, kind of present that vulnerable side of you just knowing kind of your background as far as, you know, the com comedy and everything else that you've kind of done throughout your career? Yeah. I mean, earnestness, <laughs> I, I think, and I think this is like a general, maybe millennial problem. I feel like, as a generation, I feel like millennials are defined by irony and this yeah. kind of like, you know, separating yourself and like, oh, I can't really appear to care. It's like, right. you know, that like, I, I mean, I don't I don't know where that comes from. Uh, certainly, you know, many seasons of South Park can't have helped make, making caring look stupid. Right, um, right. Uh, but, I, you know, I think there it's tough to be like, Hey, you know, here I am. It it feels weird. It feels like there there's there are elements of this that feel like kind of embarrassing. Of like, oh, here's a music video, and here's me in it. Uh, here here I go. Uh, right. <laughs> here I go doing my song. Uh, and I think <laughs> actually that was one of the things I tried to do with the music video. The first one that I that I released called rooftop which I, I part of it was like let me just kind of get this out of the way and like be a little embarrassing mm -hmm. um and in that music video like i am like very like with a serious face doing some like dance moves and stuff in a way that is like clearly like 
I, I get it. It is weird and embarrassing to do this. Right. Right. And that's like, it's funny how you mentioned millennials, like how I feel the same way, or it's like, I'll, I'll, uh, make fun of myself before somebody else does or like even like totally. the fact of getting on like TikTok and just being like oh hey, like that's just so cringy to me but like you gen z and, and onward it's like that's just life like it's weird i mean for me at least absolutely like, you know like it's i think you know a, i for a time people were saying oh you know access to technology is going to be a defining generational difference and i don't think it is but i do think access to cameras is a major generational difference. Um, and I think the idea that Gen Z sort of takes for granted, like, yeah, I'm going to be on camera all the time is a very different approach where it, there is a lot less self-consciousness around like, oh my God, here I am. Right. Um, and, and, you know, I, I think you can see that someone not to like talk about a post I saw online. Um, why not? <laughs> someone uh, posted like, man, why do, why does footage of high schoolers from the nineties and eighties and early two thousands, why does it all look so different in a way that is like almost impossible to define? And it's because these are people who are not used to being on camera. And I think you see this too in like the way you see this in, in humor, especially, and I, obviously, like, I pay a lot of attention to that because I think humor is at its best, you know, a reflection of the zeitgeist and at its worst, a bunch of, like, stubborn people being like, why does the zeitgeist change? Comedy should stay the same. Right. But, you know, I, I think you see, too, in, like, in older content you'll have gags where like someone like there's a news reporter on camera and there's a person in the background just kind of like yeah like the zoom like thing that was like that video went viral yeah. right right and and now that's a different gag now it is someone entitled walking into frame grabbing the microphone saying hey what's up like you know, like it, like it's a different gag now because that's the gag that makes sense now because people know what it feels like to be on camera because everyone's always on camera all the time. Yeah, it is. So it's so fascinating to think about it that way. I never even really put it in perspective where it's like there's a generation of kids that are only they all they know is being on camera, whereas totally. like I remember hearing my own voice with I used to skateboard and like watching myself like when we film little videos, I'm like, God, this is like so bad. Like, cause you just have no real like benchmark of what you're like, what you sound like or whatever. I mean, it took me, a, I came from doing terrestrial radio for 15 or 17 years. So like that whole bridge and like now people are like, I mean, radio is just not even a thing really anymore, but like that whole like era and that whole medium and, and that all that media is just kind of like so distant to these kids. Yeah. There's, there's no more, there's no more popping into frame and being like, hi, mom. Like you have Instagram for that. You can face <laughs> your mom. Right. Right. Oh, that's so brilliant. All right. So um, my last question is always the same. I want to know if you have any advice for aspiring artists. Absolutely. Um, and my advice uh, I've been asked this question a lot in a lot of different fields. Like I've been asked like, oh, how do I be a voiceover actor? How do I be a screenwriter? And it's the same answer every single time. And it's an, because it's an answer I don't hear a lot of people give and it's location. Um, I think 
so many people say like, you know, like give good advice, you know, write a little bit every day. Like you have to like stick with it. Don't let rejection get you down. All of that stuff coming up with good work habits, but location is so fundamentally important. You have to be where the work is. You have to be where the industry is because, you know, like as much as people want to want to believe like, Hey, I can get found on social media tomorrow. That's betting on winning the lottery. You need to be where the action is. And, and so my number one piece of advice across several industries has always been, you have to be where it's happening.